Hello, everybody. Good evening. At least it's evening right now in Costa Rica. There are critters chirping out at night, and it is absolutely stunning and gorgeous uh, with a full moon to boot. So, today, um, tonight, an interview with David Specht. He is the author of The Family Business Whisperer and The Farm Whisperer. Both of these books are about families, especially parents, passing off wealth or the family business to their children. Why is this relevant? We've got 73-some million baby boomers right now controlling the majority of the wealth in the United States of America. That wealth is about to be passed off to millennials who are an even bigger generation. We're talking about a massive transfer of wealth at every level. And what's that going to look like? How's it going to go? What are families supposed to do? There's, it, it gets complex pretty quickly. And that's what David does. He works with families and talks about how to do this so you don't tear a family apart over uh, passing the family business down. And he's just, he's just a really interesting guy. He's an old friend of mine that actually connected with me after finding and listening to the podcast. We connected after, God, I think we hadn't seen each other in 15 years, and it was really fun to see that we're working in, in different industries, but we, we do a lot of similar work, and that is helping you know, families and their kids find a healthy path in life. And so as we started talking about you know, what we were doing, the idea emerged to have him on the, the podcast. And you'll see it, it's a very insightful interview. Um, he's got a lot of good ideas around how to talk about wealth, how to you know, how to manage a family in, in family values with uh, parents who maybe have gone out and created something and they're not quite sure how to pass that off. So I hope you enjoy it. I learned a ton, as usual. Thanks for joining, everybody, and David Specht. Dave Speck, welcome to In the Trenches. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. You bet. <clears throat> so you wrote a book called The Farm Whisperer. And I got to read this title, um, Secrets to Preserving Families and Perpetuating Farms. This is, there's got to be a story behind this book because that is a really unique niche. Uh, what, what inspired you? What happened? What got you to the point to say, I got to write a book about this because there's obviously a problem here? Yeah, so, so that's my first book. And uh, we were living in Nebraska at the time. And I work with family-owned businesses. Um, around uh you know their wealth transitions and their business transitions and it just so happened that uh there were a lot of farms surrounding me at the time in nebraska and so uh you know i put the book together the, the second book is actually called the family business whisperer and that's more of a general book for for all business owners which which probably is is more likely to make sense to your listeners but um really what i try to do with with both of those is to focus on um, you know what the challenges are that they have, um, n- not from a financial perspective necessarily, but some of the non-financial issues that they face, communication, um, shared ownership, things like that. Well, what, what's what's the problem? You know, it seems simple enough. I have a farm, you know, or I have a business, or yeah. I have, you know, I have wealth, and you know, 
I'm a, I'm a responsible citizen in society and you're my yeah. child and you're, you're going to take it over. It seems yeah. simple, right? Like it seems like there, where's the problem? What are the problems that you see in this process? So the problem is that we're working with uh, multiple systems. So we have a family system, which is a system that is fueled by love. And, um, you know, I have, I have six kids and I don't want one of those kids to know, to feel like I love one of them less than I love the other ones. So we have that system. And then we have a business system, which is based on, um, you know, generating revenue. It's, it's competitive. It's, um, you know, things are at risk. And those two systems don't always align well. And so many families struggle when they're looking at passing um, assets, whether that be a business or a farm or whatever, with, um, you know, how do I give to my kids? Do I want to give it to them equally? If it's an operating company, you know, what are the, what's, what's the impact of me having them share ownership, especially if one's in the business and three of them aren't. So that's where the dynamic comes is because parents are wearing multiple hats. They're wearing the dad hat, the mom hat. They're also wearing the business owner hat. And those are conflicting roles many times. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the, how does this play out for a lot of people? Well, first of all, they have to decide, you know, do they want to be a a business owning family or a, a family that has a business? So, you know, what is the priority? Um, you know, if just keeping the peace with the family um, and, and making sure that everyone gets equal, um, the likelihood of the enterprise being successful long term is is diminished. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's really about setting up uh, patterns uh, for communication around, you know, what's expected. If you are going to work in the business, you know, what's expected of you, it's got to be become more formalized and merit-based and, um, less familial, I guess. I mean, it doesn't have to lose the family feel, but there needs to be some formalities put in place so that the next generation knows kind of the rules to the road, but that the senior generation also can hold them accountable, not only as a son or daughter, but as an employee of that enterprise. And that's, that's tough. I mean, I've worked with um, my oldest brother um, mm -hmm. on a few different occasions in different settings. We started a business together and, and you're right, you know, especially when you're young and you're immature and you're growing up, even, yeah. even as a young adult in your early twenties, you know, we all stumble through and grow and learn and develop. And I think it's got to be a really hard situation to be put in to be the son or daughter of a business owner and all eyes are on you like hey you may get this thing when there's really competent professionals that have been with the company for years that might yeah. be saying hey i've been here a long time i'm more capable than you i yep. you know and then obviously as a parent you want what's best for your children you the blood sweat and tears that have gone into a business there's a there's a that is a very charged environment it is it is and there's a lot of people there's a lot of young people around the country um that have joined their family business you know for the wrong reasons one um maybe they couldn't find something else uh that paid them as well two 
Um, maybe they feel obligated, you know, if the business has been in the family for three generations and if they don't come back, then, you know, the business is going to be sold. So they come back because they feel like they have to come back. And if those are the situations, many times, you know, they're not able to really throw all their energy at it because they're, they're wondering, you know, what else could I be doing that that's really my passion. So one of the things I talk about with families is, you know, the only way generational transitions uh, of a business work is when there's a shared passion for the same industry or for the same business. And, you know, with that next generation, um, you know, there needs to be some discovery and there needs to be um, some room for them to grow and, and to get experiences outside of that business so that then they can actually make a choice to come back um, and they can also come back with confidence knowing, you know, I didn't need my dad or mom to write me a check. Like I was okay independently. I was, you know, I could take care of myself. Many times when these kids come back to their family business right away, either out of high school or out of college, um, they don't get that same sense of their own value in the marketplace. And when they get pushback from non-family employees, um, some of them really struggle. Wow, I can only imagine. Do yeah. you do you feel like parents are usually more pushing for their children to be involved? Do you feel like children are more, hey, I want I want to be a part of this? Do you see a trend? Um you know, as a parent, I mean you want your child I, I guess the the sorry I'm stuttering here. This is a a challenge here. I think for, for many parents, there's nothing better than to have your child say that they want to follow in your footsteps because it, it somehow validates what you do. And as a parent, that's, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but you know, I want my kids to be proud of me and what more could they do to show that they're more proud of me and what I've built than to follow me and to do what I do. And that may be an ego thing, um, but it, it may be a fear thing for parents as well. Like I understand that I, you know, I've built this business. I understand this industry. Like I can help my son or daughter find success here. Whereas if they do something else that I'm not familiar with, like maybe I can't protect them. That that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> I never thought of it that way. I, I, we do see this from time to time in the program where there's a lot of family pressure to follow in the parents' footsteps. And, you know, it, it plays out in a lot of ways. Sometimes I see young adults that are really excited about what their parents are doing and some young adults that are saying, man, I, I think I'd be miserable. And, you know, I, I, in my experience, I've found parents to be pretty understanding and supportive for the most yep. part. Yep. Yeah, I mean... I. I for most for most parents, I mean, the top the top desire of any parent is for their kid to be happy and to be successful in whatever their their passion is. Um, but if they struggle at all to identify that passion, you know, they they want to come in and swoop in and say, "Well, we'll do this for a while. We know how to do this as a family. Like we can make a living doing this." Yeah. So it's tough to give them enough enough room to to struggle. Um, and to find their way. But I think the struggle is so important. I, I don't want to stereotype, but I, I think this is something that we just p 
all of us talk about. And it's something I've been really thoughtful of the last few years of my life is I'm getting ready to start a family and that is wealth. And what is, what is being around a lot of money do for a kid? And it's easy to be critical, right? It's easy to say, you know, it's easy to look at a lot of examples of young kids, young adults, teens that are really messed up due to a lot of being surrounded by a lot of wealth, whether it's the neighborhood, the parents, whatever that may be. I've seen this play out in a lot of different ways. I've seen, you know, great families and great teens and young people that have been surrounded by a lot of wealth. And then I've seen the wealth totally destroy young people. Yeah. And well, my, my, my thing around wealth is that it's, it's neither good nor evil, but it is Andrew. It's a magnifier. It's a magnifier of our good traits. It's a magnifier of our character flaws. And so when you talk about a young person growing up, and we all struggle, like we're all finding ourselves, we're all making mistakes. Um, to have those mistakes as a young person magnified because you have access to wealth, that's tough. And sometimes those are, those are hard to recover from. So again, I, I don't think wealth is good or bad, I just think it magnifies us. So if we're charitable and we have a lot of wealth, we can be more charitable, like the things we can accomplish are amazing. Um, you know, but if we're dealing with substance abuse um, issues or um, you know other normal you know normal adolescent struggles that many 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 kids deal with, um, it just magnifies you know their access to things. Um, if money isn't an issue, yeah, so it's just a magnifier. And so your current career is really helping families manage their wealth and distribute it and their legacy and, and all of these things, right? Yeah. I like to say, you know, what I try to do is, is preserve families and perpetuate their legacies. And, and I say it in that order because ultimately, you know, family relationships are harder to rebuild than businesses. And, um, I try to help families to take a thoughtful approach to, you know, what they're doing for their family and training up their kids, you know, how they communicate as a family. And, um, and then whatever that legacy is, whether it's a shared property or a business, you know, we want to honor those assets and the things they've worked hard for, but we want to have it in the proper context. And uh, the family needs to be, needs to be first and everything else uh, can come after that. What are some common struggles you see? Is there, is there a prevailing theme in a lot of your work with these families? Well, you hear the word entitlement thrown around a lot. And, um, you know, I personally think there's a lot of blaming in just how that word is uh, used. And we talk about, you know, an entitled generation. And, um, you know, I like to back that up a little bit to say that entitlement is a learned behavior. They weren't born they weren't born that way. It, it was learned. And so wealth creators um, really are the ones that begin the process of entitlement because wealth creators you'll find um, as you visit with the parents of, of the folks that you work with, um, you know, they've worked really hard to create success. They've really worked 
worked really hard in their careers to build a business or whatever it is, and they feel entitled to give their kids whatever they want because they've worked hard. So I think that's missed on many of us. I think many times the focus is on you know, these entitled kids, um, but I think where the entitlement starts is with the generation that created wealth and then said, you know what, I want to give my, I'm going to give my kids whatever I want. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them an easier life than I had. And many times with giving them ease, they've robbed them of, of passing on the values and the traits that have made them successful, which I think is, is really interesting to think about. It's crazy, right? And I've had, I've had parents say this to my face. It's, you know, I can't believe we have not passed on the values that we we hold high to mm-hmm. our children. And, you know, I've had parents that recognize that they've made a big mistake in that area, you know. And it's. I think it's well-intentioned a lot. I think it's easy to blame. I agree with you. Um, but it's heartbreaking at the same it is. time. To, to and, s- and many times, many times these wealth creators are... They're compensating, you know, they're giving their kids things, they're giving them freedom, they're giving them money, they're giving them access um, because many of them feel guilty because they've, they've had to trade some of the time maybe that they wish they had with their kids to develop the business or to develop the opportunities that they have. And so I see oftentimes families, um, you know, parents are, are kind of compensating, trying to make up for for lost time and showering, you know, showering gifts, trips um, that they can afford to try to make up for some of that, which is also, you know, you can't blame them, uh, but it's it's a tough one. They can't get the time back. It is tough. It's, um, and you know what, honestly, five years ago, I, I think 10 years ago, I would have been a lot more judgmental, but I've, having started my own business and mm-hmm. the blood, sweat and tears that have gone into it, I get it. I get it. Yeah. it it's, <laughs> I, yeah, th- we're not- in the same boat, man. We're <laughs> in the same boat. Like, um, we, we have choices. We have choices when you have, when you have kids, you're, um, you know, you want to make their life good. You want to make their life comfortable. I think that's a natural, that's a natural thing for for a parent. Um, but I think we have to be thoughtful with with what we do there. And I, I think in this this I don't know if this is for this conversation. It's more of an entrepreneurship conversation. But I don't. I think that entrepreneurship is incredibly demanding mentally, physically, in every way. And we don't. Mm-hmm. We sort of glorify it. And, you know, we talk about these people that are successful and all of these things, but the the time I've spent building my own business has been, hands down, one of the most unhealthy times of my life. And I no don't, doubt. I don't have kids yet, yep. um, you know, and I, I feel kind of lucky that I've, I've had a window here to be able to work on this without having kids, but there is a, like, being a wealth creator, as you call it, is incredibly taxing and and i i would imagine you know and i've i sat down many times thinking this is the hardest thing i've ever done and if i had children right now (laughs) what would Mm. be left for my kids when i'm not even taking 
I don't have the energy or the health to take care of myself on, yeah. on a healthy level. And so I get it. <clears throat> I mm -hmm. totally get how it can be easy to fall into that trap, especially when you believe in what you're doing, you're excited, you're passionate, you're, there's so much good coming from the hard work that's going in. And anyway, I could, I could go off, but I, I think that it's, it's harder than it sounds from afar. I think it's easy to say, well, spend more time with your kids. Easy. Like, of course. But I, yeah. I could see how it would be easy to get caught into that trap. Yep. No, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, they face a daily battle of um, no one tells them when to show up and when to go home. Uh, they're always working and they're always mentally engaged in their business. And to be able to check out of that and fully fully focus on your kids or fully focus on your church or fully focus on your community, it's a real it's a real stretch. It takes a ton of discipline for entrepreneurs to be able to stay healthy uh, in their relationships, in you know how they take care of themselves physically, spiritually. Uh, it's a huge it's a huge undertaking. Many of them struggle. I had a I had a guy <clears throat> come visit me last week that runs a, a recovery program, a sober program in the states. Yeah. His, his program is amazing. I've toured it. It's a beautiful facility, and we were talking to him about you know starting a family and all those things. And he said it was really cool. He actually said, Andrew, be very careful. You know, he said you should be proud of what you've built. And he said if you're not careful, your business will be your first love. Mm -hmm. and you know it was a good warning i i appreciated that and you know like i said 10 years ago i would have said that's ridiculous i would never put myself in a situation like that but i do see how easy it is to happen now so anyway um when we're talking about wealth within families what the families that are doing it right <clears throat> raising their kids around a lot of privilege and opportunity what are, what are they doing right? So more than anything, they're, they're defining their values. Um, they're, they're making explicit what is, um, what is usually just implicit. So if hard work is a value or, um, or being charitable is a value or service is a value, like the ones that are having a lot of success – um, they aren't allowing those values to just stay implicit. They are they are explicit with them, and they are they are putting strategies in place for their family to have experiences and to actively invest in their next generation developing those values. I think that's the biggest thing. Is you know, if you were to ask your ask uh, you know, if I were to ask my kids, what does it mean to be a spect? And for them to give me three words, like what three words does it mean to be a spec? And that's my last name. You know, I, you know, I th I would I have three words that I hope they would say, <laughs> um, but they're probably not the same words that they would say. And so, taking that next step to say, you know, this is what's expected. Um, you know, with our last name, this is what this is who we want to be, and making investments of time to to practice those things i think you know time is the most important resource and it's the most important investment with um developing that next generation and many times again back to the wealth creators many times that's the most scarce resource um you know money things uh 
relationships, access, like all of that exists, but time for many of them doesn't, you know, there's just not time. You know, it's funny. My wife says GLR. That was her family. GLR, gratitude, loyalty, respect. Mm. She says that all the time and her dad, who's awesome, you know, we laugh about it. Yep, GLR. Like that's what it meant to be a McKean. That's and cool. Yeah, it's catchy, and here she is, 32 years old. GLR, gratitude. Loyalty. How old was she when they uh, landed on that? Do you remember? Has she told you? As old as she remembers. I mean, that, really, that was something that that was ingrained in them as a family, and that's it was a part of every aspect of their family. They actually had, they made this plaque with like 12, 15 sayings that they mm -hmm. heard constantly from their parents you know yeah don't look to don't look a gift horse in the mouth or whatever there there was a lot of messaging that went along with her family and growing up i mean i did too my family we had you know we had meeting family meetings and we had mm -hmm. my mom did this thing my mom did this thing my mom grew up on a farm she yeah. was a dairy farmer i mean she grew up milking cows at four in the morning in the yeah dead, she knew how to work in the dead of cold so my mom's thing was like you will Hell or high water, you will learn work in this yep. house. And how did my parents do it? My mom would pass around a pig of the week. There were five kids in my family. And so if you got the pig of the week, you were like, your room was messy. It was mm. kind of funny. It was kind of fun, <laughs> you know. And, and like, you know, it was like, you're the pig of the week, you know. But it was also like, hey, get it together. <laughs> yeah, get your crap together, boy. Right, exactly. And, you know, another thing my parents did was and I don't <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit but they we had a big yard they love mm -hmm. garden they love gardening I hate yeah. it yeah but, but they yeah. love it and and so sat weekends um weeknights in the summertime we were working in the yard there was a yeah. lot of work to be done and that was just an expectation and you know we I'm not saying like the whole family was sunshine and rainbows every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I definitely <laughs> threw my fair share of tantrums, but sure. Hey, this is what it means to be a tailor. You, you work. Yeah. You know, you wake up every morning, there's a post-it note with a name, with your name on it. You're not doing anything that those things are done. I, at the time it drove me nuts, but looking back, I'm, I'm so appreciative of that. And I, and I was raised in a home of privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents could have hired out the work. They could have mm -hmm. done all those things. And so I guess um, a little time to, you know, it's nice to get to brag about my folks for a second. But yeah, those, are, those are my personal examples. But, you know, what are some other things you've seen these families do? Do they, you know, force their kids to get jobs when they're young? Do they, you know, what what's worked? What else has worked, I guess? I'm, I'm loving these ideas. Um. One thing that we focused on uh, is actually helping them to know their family history, which seems weird, but um, I'll do projects with families and I'll assign, you know, a 16-year-old or 18-year-old um, to put together a four-generation chart and to, you know, highlight uh, employment patterns or health patterns, learn stories about um, – you know, if there's a business, you know, when it started and, and go and interview their grandparents so that they have those things. And then they present that information at a family meeting. I'll also have them 
you know, do a, a corporate history. Again, I, I do this because many of them are, are a generation or sometimes re, or two generations removed from what I call the struggle. And when they go and they learn the story, and more importantly, when they tell their family's story, it becomes their story. And when they learn about um, some of the sacrifices and some of the some of the hardships that generations before them went through, um, they start to identify with that, and they can see themselves or they can see their ancestors in some of their makeup, which is which is really a positive experience. So that's one thing we do. That's a really cool idea, because I, I imagine being a young person growing up in a successful family after the quote unquote struggle, yeah, it's probably really easy to be like, dude, this is easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had one family where, you know, this, it was, there were twin boys and one of the sons did the corporate history and the other son did the family history. And the one that did the corporate history came back and, you know, this family has thousands of employees and, you know, is really, really successful. And, um, like I said, they're they're at least a generation and a half removed from what I call the struggle. And but what he learned and what he told in his story was the three times in the business history that the company almost failed, like almost was done. And that was a revelation to him. And him telling that story um, really gave him an appreciation for what his parents, what his grandparents had gone through. Um, to just keep going and and to make it. So it's, it seems like a pretty simple exercise, but it's powerful. It's brilliant. I didn't, I would never have thought of that, but that's that's brilliant. What what are we looking at in terms of? We've got all these baby boomers. What seventy five million of them, more or less, that have most of the money. If I'm, yeah. if I'm right, we're, we're sort of looking at that. There's some silent generation that, that are kind of in that same category as well. And then we've got Gen X, which is a smaller generation. You and me, we're, <laughs> we're the Kurt Cobain generation. And then we've got, <laughs> we've got the millennials, which are the biggest generation to date, right? And they're mm. bigger than the boomers. I've had, it, I've had people tell me this wealth it's not that it's going to skip Gen X. It's just that Gen X is small enough and just close enough to the boomers that it's kind of irrelevant. But we're looking at a massive distribution of wealth that's going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years in the United States. Yeah. How do you see that playing out? What are some of the important factors involved in that, concerns? Um, and what does that mean for, for these millennials yeah. Families. Yeah. I mean, some of my biggest concerns are um, unfounded expectations of of when wealth will pass, how much wealth will pass to them. Um, families are not communicating about structures they're putting in place, like trusts and how those work. And and maybe the most important is, you know, why are they doing what they're doing with their wealth transitions? You know, they're not explaining the why behind what the, behind the trust. You know, they, they're saying, we put this trust in place. It's going to kick out this amount of income. Like their professionals, their attorneys are explaining the trust to them. But they're not, there's no story behind it, Andrew. There's no why. Like, why did you do that for me? 
And if there's no story of why um, those those gifts are seen as doing something to them, not doing something for them. And, uh, you know, I, I think the why behind the wealth is such is such a big issue. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's one of them for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and, and, you know, millennials, it's definitely an aspect of their generation, right? They're, they're a little bit, you know, they're, they're just, they're just dealing in a world of, of a lot of expectation. They've been fed, you're going to be great, do whatever you want. You know, the realities are much different, (laughs) you know, a lot of college debt and things like that. And, um, you know, this expectation that I'm going to be, running my dream business, doing my dream job by mid-20s is, is definitely ingrained in the millennial generation. And so... Um, I want to talk about expectations for a second because I think, I think they've been given expectations that are unfair as well. Totally agree. So again, I'm not going to put this all on them because um, many of them have been raised with parents that have created unrealistic expectations for them to achieve themselves independently. Again, we look at the wealth creators... And what they're giving to the millennials, um, the lifestyles that the lifestyle expectation they've created for them, um, for many of them is an unrealistic, unattainable um, goal. I mean, it, they're flying around in private jets, you know. So that means if if they can't fly their kids around in private jets, um, then they're somehow not successful in life. Um, and that sounds strange, but you know, sometimes uh, we as parents create unrealistic expectations for our kids, and especially you know those that have have been really really successful um, and are multi multi millionaires. You know, you think of the, uh, you know, what is what is their marriage? What are the marriage expectations? Um, you know, what do they expect to to provide for their spouse? You know, and so you know, I think expectations are a, are a big challenge. Uh, with this millennial generation, and again, I I don't see it. I don't see it as all as all their fault. Uh, they've they've grown up with some expectations, and now they have to figure out how to either change the expectations so they can truly be independent. And I think many of them do have desires to be independent and do it their way, um, but they may not be able to live up to the expectations or to the the lifestyle that their parents have created for them. Totally agree. I, I think that, you know, it's it's tough. What do you do? What what would you do in that scenario if you were a multimillionaire and you did have these opportunities to fly on private jets? You've probably been through this struggle to earn it. Do you recommend to families, like, play down your wealth? Is that advice you would give someone? Uh, because you're right, what ends up, what ends up happening is, is this pressure cooker is created. Yeah. Jeremy McGeorge in one of my first interviews, and I talk about it, it's, it's particularly prevalent in the Northeast, and that is you've got to go to the best schools. You've got to do the best. You've got to do all of these things so that you can live in the same neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, it all comes down to wanting what's best for your kids. How can you blame someone for that? But that pressure cooker starts in like the fourth grade. Yeah. Or, the, or the kindergarten, and by the time they get to my program, they're an anxious mess, loving mm-hmm. parents, talented, all the opportunities in the world, 
and they're they're crushing under this pressure of of yeah. you know and it's understandable i feel yeah. that yep. in my family no, you know i just i just wrote an article called emerging from the shadows of greatness and it's one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest problems that millennials face is that their parents have been successful and some of them have been so successful that um, I think it's a natural a natural inclination for a child to measure themselves against their parents. And the honest truth is some of these kids are never going to be, you know, wealth creators like their parents were. And many of them, most of them don't need to be. But that doesn't mean that they won't measure themselves against the success of their parents. And that is what creates, in my opinion, a lot of the anxiety and the the feelings of, uh, you know, not, not, not having the, the self-worth, uh, you know, not, not measuring up and all that stuff is damaging. So what does that parent say to their kid growing up? Well, I think the most important thing a parent can do is, is actively and intentionally look for their talents and expose those talents, invest in those talents and if those talents happen to be, you know, in something that the parents are also good at, great. If they're not, great. But I think parents, we as parents need to spend more time actively looking for, you know, what are our kids naturally good at and how can we invest in them so that they can achieve, you know, in whatever they want to do. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's key. Yeah. And it, I like for me, for me, I, I played basketball, so I love basketball. Um, but the last thing I want to do is force something that I loved on my kids. I want them to, if they love basketball, like I, I have lots to invest in them because of experiences. But if not, you know, if my kid loves archery, you know, I want to, I'm going to invest in that for, with him. Um, it's tricky though. Yeah. It's tricky. It takes really, real intentionality to, you know, look at your kids, give them enough experiences, find their talents and, and say, Hey, you want to be great at anything? I I'm here. I want to help. And I want to invest time with it. I want to invest our resources. Um, many of these families where they're, where they're most wealthy is in their relationships. And I think it's the, the biggest untapped wealth that, that there is. These families have access to, to other people that can help their kids to become great at whatever they want. And many times we just focus on the wealth of the, you know, their, of their, their money, but it's the relationship wealth that they have that I think is, is not tapped into enough. That's a really good point. Where can people find this article that you wrote? Um, I'll send it to you and you can, you can put a link up. All right, cool. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll post it on the, uh, podcast notes. Okay. Um, I, I, you've answered all my questions. I honestly don't have any more questions. Do you have any other thoughts or like important topics that you think? Well, no, actually I do have more questions. What about what, what financial advice outside of this realm would you give millennials right now? You know, they're, they're struggling. Housing's through the roof. Healthcare costs are through the roof. What, what would you tell these young millennials. I remember someone told me right out of college, like start a Roth IRA and start mm -hmm. putting money in it. And I did. I wasn't diligent always with it, but mm -hmm. you know, 
what examples of things do you tell young millennials? The first thing is control what you can control. So understand your, your spending patterns, understand your expenses. The, the worst thing a millennial can do is to get themselves into debt and then to, that, that robs them of their freedom to choose a career path that is their passion. Because if you have debt, you need to do what makes you the most money. And so that's something that I, that's advice I would give to, to all of them is minimize your, minimize your expenses such that you have great flexibility to pursue your passions. If you want, if you want the, the ability to pursue whatever career you want, make sure that your um, lifestyle expectations are as low as possible because many times it's the greatest opportunity isn't always the greatest pay. And uh, so I think they need to control what they can control um, with their expenses. I, I don't think there are any necessarily silver bullets for them with investing. I obviously starting early, but um, invest in themselves, invest in um, relationships, find mentors, um, go out and, uh, and do internships. That's the best thing that I did coming out of school was I did, I did three different internships before I graduated and the most important thing I learned was what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's really important for the millennials to figure out what they don't want to do. They need to go out and have some experiences where they figure out, you know what? It's clear to me. I don't want to do that. I thought I did. But um, unless, unless they go have those experiences before they um, you know, are, are, are on the clock to pay back their student loans and are, you know, get stuck in a job that pays the bills but they hate it, you know, go have experiences. Um, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that I, I, I've said it before. I think it's absurd. We ask an 18, 19 year old to pick a major and pick a career. I think it's yeah. absurd and it's yeah. whatever it is, what it is. It's, it's been part of our culture for a long time, but the, you know, I talk to these young adults that are 19 and 20 and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's your biggest worry right now? Like, yeah. that's your biggest concern? Give me a break. Yeah. And I, I think that, and, you know, millennials don't marry as young. And so the 20s are for exploring. I, I mean, I hopped a flight to Costa Rica at 26 years old to make 50 bucks a day working in Costa Rica. Best decision mm-hmm. of my life. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, marrying my wife and all. There's a lot of other good decisions. Good save. Good save. <laughs> yeah. Good save. But one of the best decisions of my life. Um, and so I'm I'm right there with you, man. I'm a big believer in discover, explore. You know, don't don't lock yourself into huge expenses, and uh, you'll find that path. You'll find, and it will find you. Here's one other thing for millennials. Um, don't expect to get a job from a job posting. I, I think um, that's su- that's such a misconception. You know, the job the job that you want is is waiting for you, but you have to go and approach approach someone and figure out how you're going to become valuable to that business. Like we can choose the job that we want. We can choose the opportunity, but it's not going to show up on a job board. And so no one's going to come find us. I, that's the advice I would give is find something you're interested in, figure out who's already in that space, and go figure out how to become valuable to them. I think that's the quickest way to learn 
uh, and the quickest entry point into the, a job that they actually want. I, I love that. I tell our I tell my clients buy them a burger. Yeah, like whatever everyone, it takes. Everyone's got to yeah. eat, and you've got to offer something. If you're going to ask someone for their time, someone that's busy, like like I don't care if you have twenty dollars to your name, you're going to buy ten dollars worth of burgers to go to lunch with someone that could get you a job or that knows someone who could. And yeah. it's those gestures, you know, when I was that age, I, I thought it was all going to come to me too. I'm like, okay, professional world, here I am. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. The other thing is I, we need them to stop looking for and, and asking for jobs. Like, like these employers, they don't owe them anything. Like the millennials and anyone that's looking for a job like we have to figure out how do we become valuable to them and then tell them this is this is the value that I could bring. This is why your organization would be better for having me there. I think too often we, you know, we expect the employer to know what to do with us. Um, and again, I think we need to turn that on its head a little bit. And millennials will have all kinds of opportunities if they'll do that. Yeah, I love it. Dave, any other words of wisdom for us while I got you? No, man. It's been great. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, it's been great catching up. That's a, There's a lot of great nuggets of wisdom in this interview. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if you have any other thoughts and ideas, let me know, and we'll do a follow-up on this one um, okay. because I think it's extremely relevant for a lot of people out there. Um, great chatting with you, man. Thanks for joining you too. Thanks. You bet. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the podcast. If you're enjoying this, if you're getting something out of it, if there's something you want more of, let me know. Make some comments, share with your friends, spread the love. I think there's a lot of great information here for people everywhere. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is I wanted free information out there for people that could benefit from it. So if you know someone that might like it, uh, definitely send a copy of the link. Whatever you got to do, use the internets to get the uh, love out there. Thanks for joining, guys, and uh, have a good day.